When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and welcome to March. We made it. Postseason basketball is here. Super excited to talk about that. And I'm joined today by Calvin Wetzel from our Her Hoop Stats team. Hey, Calvin, how's it going? Hey, Megan, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. Happy March. Finally made it. (laughs) Yeah, happy holidays. (laughs) I know best holiday of the year my opinion at least might be somewhat alone in that but it's all good Um, (laughs) at least two of us (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah we made it to March we're like in the striking distance of the NCAA tournament conference tournaments have tipped off so that's exciting lots going on I'm excited to talk about all that but started off you put out an article this week with Aaron Barzali from our stats team talking about kind of March and how we determine what teams go into the tournament, um, looking at in particular wins above the bubble, but also just kind of a more general argument about, you know, how should we decide seating for March? Should it be more objective, more subjective? And obviously right now it's very subjective because it all comes down to the committee's decisions. Of course, I mean, there's things that play into that to make it a little bit more objective, but still pretty subjective. Um, so yeah, I'm rambling, but do you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like you said, the you know, wins above bubble is what kind of got Aaron and I started talking about this behind the scenes, but it's really more of a broad conversation about to me, I think it's sort of two categories of, of the debate. There's like you said, the objective versus the subjective part, 
um, which, you know, basically right now it's based on the opinions of a bunch of human beings who use the data and the numbers, but they filter them through their own subjective lens. Uh, and, you know, versus having a, a subjective measure or excuse me, an objective measure, like what you have in professional leagues, it's just win loss record. You can't just do that in college. But, uh, and then the other part of the debate, I feel like is, um, basically looking backwards versus looking forwards. I think Aaron and I maybe agreed a little bit more in the first part, uh, and sort of disagreed on that second part. So I'm interested to hear where you stand. Um, I feel like we can start with that half of it, that um, I would prefer selection to look backwards in the sense that I would prefer it to reward accomplishments rather than predict future games. Um, and, you know, Aaron's, Aaron's kind of argument was that he thinks like the, the, the teams that have the best chance to win the whole tournament should be in the tournament, which I agree with. But I think in college basketball, maybe more so than any other any other sport. Well, college sports in general, because you have sixty four teams in your bracket, uh, anyone who has a chance to win the championship is going to be in there, no matter how you choose them. You know, if you had like an eight team bracket, it would be different. Maybe the ninth or tenth best team has a chance to win it. But so I think you're going to accomplish that either way. Um, I I would rather not use a, a measure that is designed to predict games uh, because those take into account margin of victory. And I would not want coaches to be incentivized to run up the score. Um, not that I'm sure every coach would necessarily do that. I think, you know, maybe we might see some subtle things. Now I don't think every coach is going to have their whole starting lineup on the court in the last 30 seconds of a 40 point blowout necessarily. But uh, I would just rather basically eliminate margin altogether from the conversation not in terms of predicting games, but in terms of selection for the tournament, because I, the win should sort of be the ultimate goal. Um, so that was my stance. But I'm, I'm interested to hear where you stand on that side of it, Megan. Yeah, so I stand on the side of it should reward what has happened, right? So you should be looking at, you know, who beat who and who, like, rewarding the performance during the season with, I think, some caveats in the fact that, like, in college basketball, when you look at things like, okay, did this team lose, but they didn't have, like, NC State's case, for example, like, they didn't have Canaan in that one game, one of those games that they lost. So I think you have to take some things into consideration that are probably a little bit more forward-looking, as in, like, a one well, NC State team is actually better than that team that lost to, uh, I forget what team it was, Virginia Tech, maybe. Um, but I think in general, it should reward what has happened on the court during the season, I don't know if I totally agree with taking margin of victory out of it, though, because I think because we're looking at college basketball and like 360 teams, it's such a wide field. And I feel like that data point is important because, I mean, especially in a season like this where you don't have as many head to heads between conferences and stuff to point to. I think that's an important measure of just looking at how good some of these teams are you can kind of get a better feel by how much they beat some teams are by for like how good they are. Right. Like there's a, there's a difference for sure by from beating a team by two points to beating them by 40 points. Like team that wins by 40 is clearly the better team where if you beat by two points, you're the better team that night, but are you like really the significantly better team? I think it's a, it's a different argument. Um, so I do feel like that kind of that data point is important. Yeah, you you know it's interesting you brought up the Elisa Kunain thing because that was 
that was another thing Aaron and I disagreed on is, is uh, how to handle injuries. You know, Aaron brought up a hypothetical example and uh, I'm sure, you know, I know you read the article for our listeners though, of a team who's the 30th best team, the 30th best resume and their star player gets hurt, say like this week, the week of conference tournaments. Um, so their whole resume includes having that player in there, but that player is not going to be able to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, and that drops the team to say the 80th best team, uh, you know, in Aaron's hypothetical world, he said he would take that team out of the tournament um, and vice versa. If a team is, you know, the 80th best resume and doesn't necessarily deserve to be in the tournament, but they've been missing a star all year and they get that star back, he would put them in the tournament. I don't think I would go that far, especially in the first scenario. I don't think it would be fair if a team has, you know, played well enough to earn earn that bid and have a top 30 resume. I don't think I would drop them out because they are no longer a top 30 team with the personnel that they can currently put on the floor. Um, so, I mean, I can understand injuries, you know, who's available, who's not available, affecting seating. And, you know, if Paige Beckers were to get hurt, I mean, I would still put UConn on the one line, but if they want to put them on the two line, that's fine. Whatever. I'm not going to complain, but like, I, if a bubble team is going to make it, then they're going to make it no matter who they have on the floor. That, that's what I, that's where I stand. Um, yeah. Where, what would you do with, uh, with those 30th and 80th best teams? Yeah. So I think it's a selection versus seeding thing. I think if the team has earned a place in the tournament with their performance for the season, they should still get that place in the tournament. I don't think that selection should be based on who's going to be on the floor. I think, like you said, with 64 teams, no matter what, you're already going to have, you know, every team that's going to contend for a championship is is in that group, right? So I think if they've earned a spot, then selection, they should still be in. I think you can hit the seating, though. I think, you know, if, like you said, like Paige Beckers gets hurt next week, not going to win that, that doesn't happen. But, like, if you want to drop UConn to a two seed or lower because you think that, you know, they're not a number one overall seed without Beckers on the floor, which is a fair argument, I think, I think that's fine. Um, but I do, I do think that selection should still just be kind of solely based on the the at-large resume. And, okay, if that, that team qualified to make the tournament without with or without that player, like, they should be in. And then if you want to hit the seating, go, go for it. But they should be in regardless. Yeah, I think, I think we definitely agree on that. Um, I'm also interested in your opinion on uh, – you brought up – the, that you would like to see margin taken into account to some extent. Um, I was just sort of spitballing in my head how we could do that because I do think you're right. It's like very important information in terms of how good a team is. A team that wins by 40 is way better than a team that wins by two. Um, so how can we sort of take that information into account without encouraging coaches to leave their starters in and run up the score to 40 in order to get that reward? And, just thinking like we maybe could cap the net or whatever the metric is at 10 because I mean the men's net when it came out a couple of years ago said that they cap margin of victory at 10. I'm doing air quotes. If, I don't know if I'm putting out this as video or just as uh, audio, but they didn't really cap it at 10 because they had efficiency margin in there, which was uncapped. So right. if you won by 12, it was still better than winning by 10. So they just got rid of that altogether because it was sort of fake anyway. Uh, and the women's net doesn't claim to have a cap at all. Or the other thing you could do, which may be tricky in the men's game when they don't have quarters, but only take into account the margin in the first three quarters 
So with that, if you're into the fourth quarter and it's a blowout, you still put the bench players in, and that's not going to affect your rating at all. Uh, those are just some ideas that sort of popped into my head. I don't know if either one is necessarily good or not. Where do you stand on those, though? Yeah, I think I like the cap idea. I feel like, to me, 10 feels too low just because I think there's, like, a significant difference between winning by 10 and winning by 20 because a lot of times the team won by 10, and it's really, like, the free throws that were made at the end of the game that ends up being, like, what drove them to be winning by 10. So I think there's still kind of, like, a significant difference between, like, a, you know, 8-9 point victory and, like, a a 20-point victory. And if you cap it at 10, you don't – or even a 15-point victory. And if you cap it at 10, you're not necessarily capped capturing that so I don't know what the cutoff should be maybe it's 20 that seems like a kind of like you're not running the score up crazily but like also kind of accounting for someone handedly beating a team versus like kind of eking out at the end with the free throws taking or having an advantage um but agree that the the I don't think there's a large difference when I look at like a score and someone beats a team by 25 and someone beats the team by 40 I'm not gonna be like oh yeah the team that beat them by 40 is like way better than the team that beat them by 25 I think at some point you start to lose like the the power of that data point if you you don't cap it because there's not that big of a difference right between the team beating someone by 40 and 25 but there is a big difference between someone beating a team by two points and beating a team by 15. Yeah, yeah, I, I could buy, you know, the cap being 15 or 20 instead of 10. I do, I think if, if I sort of think about it, just observationally, I don't know if this is true or not, but just when I watch games, I feel like somewhere between 20 and 25, you know, not if not if a team takes a 25-point lead in the first half, but 20 and 25 towards the end of the game is sort of that point where coaches start to put their bench in. Um, right. And, you know, I don't know if most coaches, even if there's only – you know, 50 seconds left. If it's a 13-point game, I don't know if most coaches are putting their bench in either way. Maybe if it's senior night or something. Uh, but, but yeah, once you get into the 20s, I think is that point where when if you increase the lead from 25 to 40 in the last five minutes of the game, it's probably your bench that did that and your bench outscored the other team's bench, which isn't necessarily useful information for how your actual rotation is going to play going forward. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, you're right. I think it is probably useful information if you're still in the teens, because that's that's still for the most part your rotation players holding that lead. So um, yeah, I, I could buy raising the cap a little bit. I think Aaron brought up thirty. I don't, I don't know if I would go up to thirty. I would, yeah, I would I would want it a little bit lower than that. But I I, I could do twenty. <laughs> yeah, I feel like twenty is probably like the probably sweet spot if you're you're capturing the meaning the meaningful point of that data, but not just like getting the run up score and the fact that a team beats someone by fifty really doesn't mean that much. So it would be fun if if that happened to see if any coaches try to game the system in terms of you know team is up eighteen and there's shot clocks off. Are you are you still trying to score? I, I, I don't know if a lot of teams would, but I think out of 350 some coaches in the country, I think someone would do it. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be someone. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting. I, like, I know we don't actually have the net formula because it's like a machine learning, but it would be cool to see like if you did it with the capped kind of 20 versus what it is right now, like where, where teams would fall how, compared to what it currently looks like. Yeah, how much different would it be, and would it still look reasonable and make sense? I think it would. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, I think it probably would too. I think one of the hard things with college basketball is there's just such a wide range of teams. Like you're talking about 350 teams compared to you know 20 to 30 teams and pro leagues and I think that just adds so much more variation and obviously not everyone plays everyone and all these extra things and then of course this year it's even more fun because half these teams have played very few non-conference games so there's really not a lot of connecting data points I think that's when you look at the net this year and there's some things that you're like hmm. and I'm like well probably more than anything just a reflection of the fact that there's not a lot of non-conference data points to pull it all together but kind of off topic but anyway yeah I think it's just it's always interesting because you're looking at such a larger set of teams and then I think this year just adds so much more variation to it which is exactly why I love college basketball more than yes. anything else. I'm like super grateful <laughs> for all the, all the people covering WNBA free agency yes exactly like I you know I love basketball in general but there's just there's nothing like having literally hundreds of teams and thousands of players all competing for sort of the same thing. I mean, the teams in 300s aren't exactly competing for a national championship, right. but they're all competing on this same court, you know, and it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's so much fun. I was laughing. I don't know if you saw it on Instagram, but Holly Rowe had like on Monday, which was March 1st, was posting on her Instagram story. She's like, it's my March tradition. And she was like singing along to the One Shining Moment commercial, which is always like a fun thing to see come March. So (laughs) I'm really excited. Yes. (laughs) Oh, me too. I got my PTO put in, taking time off. Got my screen set up. This is like, this has been two years coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, especially because we didn't have it last year. I'm like, all right, I need it in like full effect <laughs> this year. So definitely yeah. excited. Absolutely. So, so with that, should we move into the start of March basketball? We've got three conference tournaments from the Power Five, or we can say Power Six, we'll throw the Big East in there, um, that are already underway. And then Big East tips off on Friday. And then, so we'll kind of talk about those four. And then, of course, Big Ten and Big 12 tip off next week. So we can talk about those next week. But um, got three really big ones that have topped off today. I think probably three of the most interesting ones. I mean, Big Ten is going to be a lot of fun, but SEC has tipped off today, the Pac-12 and the ACC. So kind of three of your major power conference top tournaments already underway. Let's let's start with the SEC because I feel like they've just been the best, in, in my opinion, the most fun to watch conference this season. They've just so many good teams, a lot of fun upsets. I expect that we will see plenty more of that this week. I think it's one I'm looking forward to quite a bit. Um, they just had one game today, I believe. Yeah, just the first round was just the 13th and 12th seed, so Florida and Auburn. Uh, but starting tomorrow, there's four games, so lots of games coming. And then, of course, the top four seeds earn by in that first, second round, whatever you want to call it. So they won't play until Friday. So that's AM, South Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee won't play until Friday. Um, and then all these tournaments, other than the Big East, have championship games on Sunday. I feel like there's so much to break down with this one. Any place in particular you want to start? Yeah, I mean, to me, this is just the most wide-open tournament by far. Um, I Honestly, anywhere. I mean, I don't think there's a mid-major tournament that's wide open either. Um, there's yeah. probably 
legitimately seven, I don't know if I want to say eight or nine, but at least at least six teams that could legitimately win this tournament. Um, I definitely think there could be, you know, there's multiple teams who could come from Thursday, uh, even day, day two, basically, um, and come, come out without even getting that double buy and win this thing. I think you have Kentucky on the five line who uh, plays Florida tomorrow or today when we're releasing this, they could, they could make a run and win this. I think Arkansas on the sixth line could make a run and win this. Uh, I think even Alabama is a little bit of a sneaky pick. I don't see them winning it, but I think they can make some noise. And certainly if they get past Missouri, get South Carolina, you know, a little bit of trouble in the, in the uh, second round. I don't know what you call these rounds. I don't know if today counted as a round, <laughs> yeah. only one game. I, Usually there's two games, but Vanderbilt opted <laughs> out. So there's one. So it's sort of like a play-in game. Um, but I mean, South Carolina has to still be the favorite, I think. Uh, but but we've seen anyone can be anyone in this league. I've enjoyed watching the SEC more than any other league this year. Every Thursday and Sunday, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the scoreboard. And some team who is in the bottom half of this league is competing with hanging in in the fourth quarter, if not actually beating someone who's in the top four or five of this in this league. It's insane. Over half this league is going to get in a tournament. So... Uh, you know, anyone anyone could can really beat anyone in this league, and this this is one I'm going to have both eyes on for sure. My main screen is going to be focused on the SEC tournament, especially as it gets into the Elite Eight. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> sorry, I don't yeah, know no, there, no, but I, yeah, I was just going to say it's going to become like a Sunday tradition for me to sit down and watch SEC women's basketball because there's always so many good games, and even just this last weekend, Ole Miss, which is the 11th seed in this tournament, beat Kentucky. So really, anything could happen here. I think, I, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised to see kind of any of those top six seeds end up winning this tournament. I think we're going to see a lot of really fun games in this. I'm interested, though, that you say that you think South Carolina is still the favorite because Texas A&M did beat them on Sunday. Yeah, that was Sunday. I can't keep track of the days anymore. But, yeah, Texas A&M beat South Carolina Sunday <laughs> for the regular season championship. Obviously, that was kind of Sunday's big game this week. But you still think South Carolina has the edge there to win out as a favorite to win this one? I do. Uh, you know, the metrics still like South Carolina. Um, Texas A&M. Had a lot of close wins this year. Um, they're they're definitely a great team, and I think they maybe just now, the last week or so, especially since that win on Sunday, starting to get the respect they deserve, which I admittedly am also not giving them and have not given them maybe throughout <laughs> the year um, by still not necessarily calling them the best team in this league when they uh, they won it outright and they have the number one seed. Um, I just think there, there's too many there's gonna be too many landmines on on the way for a team that the metrics don't even necessarily view as a top ten team in the country. Um, whether it's when I refer to the metrics, it's really our ratings or Ken Massey has his ratings as well. Um, MasseyRatings.com, if anyone's not familiar, uh, both of these have South Carolina at the top. Um, I, I do think though that that Texas A and M is definitely deserving of a one seed. I know that was a debate for a while, even when they probably had a one seed resume. And at this point, I think as long as you don't lose that first game, I think Texas A&M could lose to Georgia or Kentucky in the, in the semifinals and still be deserving of a one seed. Um, as long as you, as long as you get back, get by LSU or Mississippi state, 
I think you're good there. But um, I have to go with South Carolina, and they're going to have a chip too, chip on their shoulder because they're going to be mad, number one, about that game. And number two, uh, I know there's no fans and whatever, limited fans. There were definitely some fans there on Sunday. I don't know how many. Uh, there's a home court advantage either way, you know, that Texas A&M had. I mean, you could, you could feel the energy just watching by regular standards, low energy, but by COVID year standards, one of the higher energy games I feel like that I've seen. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not going to have that same advantage over South Carolina or over anyone on a neutral court here in the, in the SEC tournament. So I, I, I still would go with South Carolina, but I mean, I, if, I, if it were South Carolina versus the field, I would take the field, though. I wouldn't say that South Carolina has over 50% chance to win this tournament. I do think they have a higher probability than anyone else for getting mathy. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I still feel like even though after that game on Sunday, I still feel like South Carolina is the favorite here. Like you said, Texas a has had a lot of close games this year, and they, they did pull off the really good win on Sunday, but I, I think South Carolina is kind of the, still with the talent that they have should be the favorite here. I think South Carolina kind of has a bit to prove in this tournament for me, though. I think, especially as of late, I, their offense has looked a little bit off. I think Don Staley talked about that a little bit today and said that they're going to look better going into the tournament, so we'll see if that happens. But to me, it just feels like they haven't found a lot of ways to use Aaliyah Boston as much as they probably should. I mean, she's, we all know how good she is and you know, kind of National Player of the Year candidate, just All-American, second-team All-American last year, probably an All-American this year someone that they need to feed inside more, I think. And I'm interested to see how that, that changes going into this tournament. I especially thought it interesting kind of at the end of the game against A&M on Sunday, it had Boston out on the perimeter a lot. And granted, she did hit a three-point shot kind of at the near the close of that game. But to me, it just felt like an odd choice to have her out on the perimeter, not in the post where you could feed her for an easy bucket or at least to have her there to get an offensive board if you miss a shot. So... I'm interested to see if that game plan changes a little bit down the stretch here and if they can just find ways to get her more touches. Yeah, I'm sure it's definitely going to be sort of matchup dependent too because if you play, you know, if they end up facing a team like Arkansas in the Final Four, Arkansas is not exactly a a post-dominating team. Uh, A lot of shooters, they run a lot, you know, great at spacing and, and fast break, but if you're playing Arkansas, you really want to just feed the pain and have Aaliyah Boston eat down there. Whereas you're playing a team like Tennessee, who's maybe even bigger than South Carolina is. Um, or, you know, a team like what Texas A&M did to them the other day and just pack it in and swarm her in the paint. Then, then uh, you know, maybe it becomes a little bit different. Or uh, or if you play Georgia, if they, if they both make the finals and Georgia has Jenna Stady down, down low, who, you know, is a really great rim protector, then uh, you might want to pull her out away from the paint. So... It's definitely, definitely be interesting. And, and that's the fun thing about conference tournaments in general, by the way, that I love. It's just that you have you don't have time to game plan for that. If, if you're going to play a different matchup differently, you don't know sometimes less than 24 hours in advance who you're going to play. So you just have to figure it out on the fly what that game plan is going to be, um, which really this is where coaching shines more than any other time of the year, I feel like, is tournament time when you have to make those quick adjustments. But you're right, though. It'll be interesting to see how they use Aaliyah Boston um, in, the, in the SEC tournament and whether they're able to, whether the rest of their players are able to knock down enough shots to prevent people from helping off and, and swarming Aaliyah Boston and letting her, you know, work in the paint. Yeah, I think that's something that they need to prove 
too because I think sometimes their guards hit a lot of shots, but sometimes they struggle. And I think if they're not having great shooting nights, they they can kind of concentrate that defense on Boston more. So they need the guards to hit big shots early on so that the you know, teams have to cover them as well. I think another interesting thing in this one is going to be if, you know, you're looking at the five and six seeds that we say have a chance to kind of make a run here, could win four games in four days. I think you've got two big players there to watch in Chelsea Dungey, who you already brought up, and then um, Ryan Howard from Kentucky. I feel like those two are going to be big storylines in this tournament, especially if one of those teams is going to make a deep run here. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, throw Destiny Slocum in there as well. And one of my favorite players, who I don't feel like gets enough love, Amber Ramirez from Arkansas. I got I to shout her out because I enjoy watching her as much as anyone in the country. But, yeah, these are definitely some players who could really, you know, especially if they do make a run and even if they lose it in the championship, they're going to get four games if they make it there. Um, and players who can really stack up some numbers across four days and, and uh, definitely, you know, th- this is the type of league, honestly, where I don't think voters would do this, but if you ever had uh, a sort of, I don't know what, whether they call it most outstanding player or most valuable player or SEC tournament player of the year, whatever, whatever that award is called, you probably should know um, from a losing team, you know, it, depending on who it is. I don't, I don't think voters necessarily like to do that, but we've seen some games this year where Ryan Howard goes off and keeps their team in it and they still end up coming out on the wrong end, but she puts up, 30 points, dishes out five assists or whatever, and seven rebounds. And if she does something like that in the championship game and has four straight performances like that, and they end up losing in the championship to, a, say, a South Carolina or a Tennessee, I, I wouldn't mind her getting that award. Yeah, I feel like it's not something that happens often, but you do see it occasionally, and I'm blanking on an example of it, but it does certainly happen. So I'll definitely be interested to keep an eye on that and see kind of what happens there. All right. Yeah, Anything else you Anything else you want to hit on on the SEC or should we move on to the Pac-12? Uh, let's hit the Pac-12. All uh, right. This is a conference you're excited to talk about. You're repping your uh, you're repping your gear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um so yeah, Pac-12 underway today. They've got quite a handful of games today. Four games today. So two of them one already done. Oregon State took down Cal. No real surprises there and USC is playing Arizona State as we're recording this, so kind of few kind of play into the quarterfinal games today, and then of course your top four seeds again here get the the bye. So Stanford, Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA all in action for the first time today. When you're listening to this, it'll be Thursday. So today, um, I feel like this is another obviously really fun one. Not, I think the SEC has been the better league this season. I think a lot of times we talk about the Pac-12 being the best league in the country. SEC's got that this weekend, this season, but I think this Pac-12 tournament is still going to be a lot of fun, especially at the top. Um, I think we might see a little bit less kind of crazy upsets in the quarterfinal round, but I think those kind of final three games of this one is, are going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of, you know, for a while it, it was sort of feeling that the Pac-12 wasn't necessarily very deep, a very top-heavy team. But uh, this year, you know, for over the last few years, I should say, but Washington State has stepped up a lot this year. And then Oregon State, after uh, after a COVID pause and a very disappointing start to the season, has been playing 
incredible basketball in the last few weeks or so. They're a, that's that's a team I really wanted to to hit on, and I think that they're gonna they're gonna make some. They're they're a sleeper pick for me to win this whole thing. They came off their COVID pause and they've won four straight now after today's win over Cal. But the last two games they won at UCLA and at Oregon. Um, and they're, of course, they're probably on the right side of the bubble at this point, but still definitely have something to play for in terms of uh, the NCAA tournament. Um, they, they're early enrollee. Uh, I know Jen Hatfield is going to break these down more, uh, keep an eye out for her piece on the early enrollee stats. But one in particular for Oregon State, Talia uh, Von Olhofen. I, I looked up the pronunciation, pronunciation of her name earlier. I probably still botched it. <laughs> but Talia Von Olhofen has been going off. Uh, she had 20 points today in the win over Cal, um, 20 points off the bench. In the previous three games since their COVID pause and their three-game winning streak, she had double-digit points and at least five rebounds in each of those games as well. I think she gives this team you know, a whole new dimension. I think this is one of the hottest teams coming into the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament that I would not want to face. Yeah, for sure. I think they've been really hot as of late. And Oregon, I think, is kind of the opposite in that they haven't been so hot as of late. So I think that 4-5 that matchup is going to be really intriguing today. And then, of course, I mean, I think Oregon has stuff to prove for the NCAA tournament, too. They stayed in that top 16 seed reveal that came out on Sunday. was pretty surprised to see that. Uh, but then, of course, lost to Oregon State. I think that, yeah, on Sunday, and then play we'll play them again tomorrow. So that's, that's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on, see who comes up up. On top there, I feel like if Oregon wants to stay in that top 16 seeds, they're going to have to probably beat Oregon State and maybe beat Stanford as well, assuming Stanford wins that one versus the 8-9 game. Um, I think they're kind of in a spot where they're probably dropping out of those that top four seed group. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. And then on the other side of the bracket, I feel like the Thursday game, I feel like Arizona gets a tough draw here because they are the two seed, but they get assuming Washington State has won on Wednesday, you get Washington State as the seven, which we all know that Charlize Ledger Walker can really go off. So that I think that's gonna be an intriguing two seven matchup if it happens. Yeah, you know, Washington State already has one win over Arizona this year. Um and excuse me, like like you said, <laughs> Charlize Ledger Walker can can put the team on her back any given night. Uh, they could compete with anyone. And also, desperate teams play play hungry. I think, you know, you know what we don't talk about on the women's side enough, I feel like, compared to the men's side, is the bubble. We talk about, like, the one seeds yeah. in the top 16 reveal all the time. We never really talk about the bubble, and I don't know why, but Washington State is the definition of the bubble right now. They're squarely on it uh, to the point where if they lose to Utah tonight, that game will be over by the time this comes out. I don't think they're getting in. If they win and lose to Arizona the next day, uh, they're still right there, a coin flip. And if they beat Arizona, I think they lock up their spots. So they are going to be playing as desperate as any team in the Pac-12 tournament, I think. Um, and that's, like you said, that's a really tough draw for a two seed. Definitely, definitely a stronger team and a hungrier team than your typical seven seed. Yeah, I think as the two, they probably have the tougher matchup coming than UCLA, which will have the winner of Colorado and Washington. I think those, I mean, Colorado did beat Stanford earlier this year, so no joke of a team at all. But I think this Washington State seems like the tougher team there. They did, weren't ranked at one point. Obviously, Ledger Walker is just a fantastic player. So 
it seems like Arizona kind of got the, sh- the short go there. Selfishly, I'm kind of hoping that UCLA and Arizona both emerge out of that one just because we've seen that matchup twice this year so far. Split one. Uh, Arizona won the first one. UCLA won the second. But I want that matchup again. Obviously, Ari McDonald and then Michaela Anyaware, two of the best players in the conference. So that's going to be a fun one to watch if we get it. Yeah, yeah, definitely some high-level basketball to look forward to if we if we get to that point. Um, and then we haven't even talked about Stanford yet, right? Who? Yeah. <laughs> so I think Stanford still has to be my pick to win it. Uh, I know it's kind of boring. They're the one seed. They're the best team in the tournament. Uh, like I said, I think, honestly, my second pick to win it would be Oregon State. I would skip over the other three teams that got a bye and pick Oregon State. Um you know, if it's not Stanford, but I do think Stanford, you know, one thing I talked about with Gabe on our most recent show, but I don't think necessarily it gets talked about enough is the fact that Stanford went like two and a half months without playing a home game and still basically rolled everyone except for, you know, a couple times they tripped up, like you mentioned against Colorado uh, in an overtime game is one of them. But for the most part, I mean, they performed the best in this league and one of the top three or four teams in the country without playing at home in the entire month of December and the entire month of January, which is to me, that's just like, that's nuts. And uh, I think that the fact that they were able to do that, basically living on the road all year and still perform at that level, just, just really, I mean, they're used to this more than any other team, you know, this, this uh, scenario that we're getting into in March and in tournament time now. So uh, I think, I think they're as dangerous as anyone I know as a UConn fan, you may disagree with me, but as anyone in the country, and I still am strongly considering Stanford being my championship pick when the bracket is revealed. But that could all change this week because Oregon State could definitely definitely knock them off, uh, and, and then we'll see what happens from there. But that that's where I stand on Stanford at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think your point about them being on the road for so long is such a huge point. Maybe not so much for the Pac-12 tournament, but for going into the NCAA tournament, they've experienced kind of being in hotels and being locked down and all this stuff. And it's going to feel more normal to them than I think it is going to a lot of these other teams. And I think that's going to be a huge advantage for Stanford kind of going down the stretch of March. And then I think in general, just a team that's kind of peaking at the right time talked about this a little bit last week, but I think Cameron Brink has just been outstanding for them over the last few games. And I think adding that, that performance from her to their, what they already had so much depth and so much talent on the roster just kind of puts them as the next level. So this is a team that looks really hot, I think going into March and I'm excited to see what they do in the Pac-12 tournament, but also going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Real quick. I'm big on the Cameron Brink hype train as well. And yes. <laughs> I uh, am very much in the uh, free Cameron Brink uh, camp. I don't know. I don't know what you call it. The bandwagon uh, hashtag free Cameron Brink. <laughs> she plays less than 18 minutes a game. And I don't like that. <laughs> um, I know she gets in foul trouble sometimes. Uh, she's fouled out of a few games this year. So you know, there's definitely that in some games, but I mean, she's had some games, you know, looking through her box scores here where she's only had two fouls and she still only played 10, 15 minutes a game. I would love to see Cameron Brink on the floor for 25 or 30 minutes a game because I think she has a big of an impact when she's on the court as anyone on that team on both ends of the floor with her ability to shoot, her ability to run the floor, and also her ability to block shots on the defensive end. 
Yeah, her arms are just like so long when you look at her insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> she's so like it reminds me in a way of like Stewie, like what Stewie looks like as a freshman. She's just so skinny, so lanky. But yeah, like you said, she impacts the game on both ends of the floor substantially for Stanford. I think it's a huge asset for them when they have her on the floor. She's earned some starting time over the last last few games, and hopefully that'll also translate to some more minutes down the stretch in March. Because I think if they're gonna challenge for a national championship, let alone pack. I think, you know, they're probably the favorites for the Pac-12 championship by far, but if they're going to challenge for the national championship, I think she's going to be a big part of that. Absolutely, yeah. All right, should we move over to the ACC? Last one that's already tipped off so far. Um, So another one today where there was just one game that we missed, the 12 versus the 13, and Pitt and Boston College. To me, this one is... Tournament is interesting because I feel like it really, you kind of expect to come down to that battle between Louisville and NC State in the championship. But we've also seen both of those teams lose to other teams in this bracket that aren't ranked opponents and kind of stumble or have close games with others. So I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens here. Yeah, I actually had that exact same thing that you just said written in my notes as well that, you know, when you pick the champion. (laughs) From this tournament, on one hand, it feels like you're picking who's going to win the NC State-Louisville game. But on the other hand, it might not be an NC State-Louisville game because both of these teams have gotten picked off before and it could happen again. And especially because this is the most bubbly league. This is like a full-on like pop bottle. I don't know how to describe it. Um, you know, when we were talking about Washington State playing hungry and being on the bubble, over half of this league is basically on the bubble, which is which is, to me is just a fantastic fun. Like when you look basically anywhere below – Louisville and NC State, not quite. There's a few other teams that have solidified their spot, but there are 13 teams in this league who didn't opt out, who, uh, you know, were in the tournament. 12 of them are left, obviously, after today. Of those 12, if we look at Charlie Cream's bracketology, seven of them, over half of them, are somewhere between an eight seed or next four out, which is, (laughs) which is, is mind blowing when you think about how much desperation there's going to be in this league. I feel like, I don't know if you, Happened to see yesterday the Horizon League men's tournament. Every single game was wildly close. It was the quarterfinals. There are four games. One of them went to triple overtime. Two others went to single overtime. One of them was a 24-point comeback with five minutes left. One of them was a buzzer beater. Like this whole tournament, like everyone was just fighting like crazy. And I feel like what we saw yesterday in that Horizon League men's tournament could be what the ACC tournament is like where every game is coming down to the final five seconds or overtime because every single team knows that they may or may not need to win this game in order to extend their tournament lives. And when you have, like I said, literally over half of the teams are not guaranteed a spot in the tournament, but within striking distance enough that they could get into the tournament, it's just, it's a recipe for some, for some wild finishes, I feel like. Yeah, I didn't realize that that many teams were on the bubble. That's insane. So this one's going to be, a, I feel like, a one to definitely keep an eye on because, like you said, when teams play desperate, they play hungry, and it's just – it always makes for fun runs kind of down the stretch here. And, of course, you know, you've got a lot of great coaches in the ACC too, so coaches that are experienced and going to kind of get those runs going. So this is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think, you know, most of the attention all the way through, this is probably going to be focused on – the NC State Louisville that everyone thinks is coming, but I wouldn't be that surprised. I think you've got some tough teams here. I mean, Louisville's going to play North Carolina. 
in their first game in this tournament. Or, well, sorry, I shouldn't say North Carolina. North Carolina or Wake Forest, but I would say North Carolina is probably the favorite in that game. And then, you know, Virginia Tech has beat NC State once uh, coming off that 7-10 matchup. So there's there's a lot of, you know, teams that can certainly upset those top two teams here. So I think that's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. And then from a the top of it perspective too, though, I think Louisville and NC State both have a lot to prove. I think, you know, Louisville dropped off that one line with their loss to Florida State, I believe, who uh, they could be matched up with in the final four. It's the one versus the one seed and the four seed in the bracket. So they could meet again. Yeah, exactly. So they've got, they lost to Florida State already. Um, NC State has lost a handful of games and they are, I feel like NC State's a team that's kind of right straddling that one versus two line right now. I think they potentially could have edged over South Carolina after South Carolina um, lost to AM on Sunday. So I think that's going to be an interesting one, like, one to keep as well. As much as all these other teams are playing hungry, I think Louisville and NC State both have some stuff to prove in terms of their, where they're going to be seated going into the tournament. So I think a lot of teams here that are trying to make a gun for a better – positioning come March or will come later March. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And I, I should clarify too. I don't know if I'm necessarily saying that seven of these 12 teams are on the bubble. Uh, I mean, if we look at Charlie Cream's bracket, you know, the ACC has three of the four, nine seeds, the bubble, you know, his last four in are 10 through 12 seeds. So I don't know if you call the nine seed on the bubble or not, they're probably safely in, but because of some of the matchups that some of these teams are going to get, for example, Syracuse plays Boston College tomorrow, um, who's the 13 seed out of 13 active teams in this tournament. And because because of some of those matchups that you're going to get, you know, for some of these teams against maybe a lower tier team like that, that could be a pretty bad loss. I think if you're sitting on that nine line, you still don't feel comfortable since that like if you if you lose to a Boston College type of team, that could be enough to drop you down from the nine line to lower on the 10 line or maybe even the 11 line because of how bad of a loss that is. And maybe Charlie Cream's wrong too. Maybe some of these teams he has on the nine line are really already more like a lower 10 seed. So I just think there are seven out of 12 teams in this league that have a chance to make the tournament, but don't at all feel comfortable. Um, and, I, and I'm really excited to watch how, how it unfolds. It, it almost, it almost feels like this is going to be the league where, uh, we, we could even see something crazy and see a team below any of those, like a Boston college, just come out of nowhere and win two more games and make the final four or something. I don't think we're going to see a Louisville NC state championship game. Though. One of them might make it there. I don't think both of them are going to make it there because I think there's too many desperate teams that, you know, that they're Both of them are going to have to get through in order to, you know, in order for us to see that matchup. Talk about, we, we just mentioned Florida state who already beat Louisville could be playing them again in the one versus four. North Carolina and Wake Forest both actually are on the bubble. Uh, not, you know, necessarily Syracuse is, is an eight seed, maybe a little bit safer. Uh, and that that's the eight, nine game tomorrow is North Carolina, Wake Forest. The winner of that could even give Louisville trouble. If I remember correctly, uh, was it Wake Forest, the team who hung around with Louisville for like 39.9 minutes and Louisville escaped at the <laughs> it end? It might have been. Uh, yeah, Louisville's had a couple like that where they escaped at the end. So I think Wake Forest was one of them. Yeah, I I could be misremembering him. Wake Forest might have done that to maybe that was NC State or maybe someone else did that to Louisville. But I'm gonna I'm gonna 
check that real quick right now. Make sure I have my facts. But, but, but yeah, Wake Forest could, uh, let's see. Yep, it was 65-63 Louisville on January 24th over Wake Forest, who, if I remember correctly, was winning with under a minute left. Uh, and Dana Evans took over and basically um, basically saved the day for Louisville in that one. But but that could be the one versus nine game. Wake Forest is a nine if they get past North Carolina. Louisville might not even make it to the Final Four to play Florida State if we have another game like that one and Wake Forest is able to hit hit a big shot at the end. So who knows? I'm... I think this is going to be the league, though, where we're not going to see the one versus two in the in the finals. Hot take, I like it. I think <laughs> that, yeah, I think it's very possible that we're not going to see one versus two. Honestly, in all three of these leagues that we talked about, I think it's very possible that we're not going to see one versus two in that that final game. So it's certainly going to be fun. All right, so we've got one other power conference ish tournament that's coming up this weekend, and that's the Big East. Um, those games tip off on Friday with the first round and then quarterfinals on Saturday. Again, the first four seeds get, or the first five seeds actually in this case, get get a, a bye into that quarterfinal round. Um, I mean, I don't think I'm giving any hot takes here to say that it's probably would be a big upset if anyone other than UConn wins this tournament. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you get a lot of hate on Twitter for, for giving UConn some love, but let's like let's be real. UConn is easily the favorite in this tournament, and also from a unbiased perspective, the Big East is definitely a, a power conference. I think we could call it a power six with UConn back in it. I think you know it was sort of a tweener maybe before that, uh, and and I think UConn pushes it over the top as a power power six conference in women's basketball. But I'm I'm interested. I don't think anyone's knocking off UConn in this one, so I'm just got to forget about them and sort of look at some of the other things I'm interested from this bracket. I'm interested in Seton Hall, um, you know, whether, whether they can win, uh, well, they'll have to get past Creighton or Georgetown. That's the six versus 11 game. Seton Hall is the three. Um, and if they do, then they will presumably play Marquette, who is uh, the number two seed. And that three versus two matchup at Seton Hall is another bubble team. So I think they could really use, I think they, if they somehow fall to either Creighton or Georgetown, I think they're in trouble. Uh, but if they can, if they can get past that one and get a win over Marquette, I think that's going to be really huge for them getting into the tournament. And then the other team I'm really interested in is DePaul because they've been disappointing to me. I feel like they've, they really haven't lived up to, you know, expectations this year. We've seen them get, run off the floor a couple times, granted by really good teams, by Louisville earlier in the year and then by UConn. But uh, they, I mean, we, we thought they were going to be a top 25 team. I really don't think they are. And honestly, I'm, this might be a hot take as well. I think if DePaul doesn't get past Villanova uh, in that four versus five game, which they might not, Villanova is actually a sneaky good team. Uh, if DePaul loses that game, I'm not sure they're in the tournament. Yeah, they feel like a team that's kind of on the line right now, and I mean, we don't. I feel like it's so hard to tell this year who's going to be in and out because you can look at all the projections, but it's a weird year, so it's it's really difficult to predict what the selection committee is going to do. And then, of course, the net is also new this year, so it makes it even more difficult. Um, but yeah, I think Villanova is sneaky good, and that Maddie Segrist is one of the best players in the conference. She's fantastic, and. I'm, it's a team that I wouldn't be surprised to see Villanova upset DePaul here in that four or five matchup. I mean, DePaul lost to Butler, who's the 10 seed in this tournament. 
this weekend, so I, I don't think it's even really that much of a hot take to say that Villanova might upset them there. And then, yeah, I think Seton Hall is the biggest interest to me here, though. I think they're a team that's kind of made their way onto the bubble. Andre Espinosa Hunter joining them later in the season has made them a much better team. They probably need the win over Marquette to get in to the tournament, so I, I think they're going to be a hungry team coming into this one, and I I kind of think that we're going to see them in the final versus UConn, and I think if we get there, they, they make it to the overall tournament, so I think that's the biggest team here to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned, you know, Espinosa Hunter. I think uh, Evan Hill wrote a good piece breaking down her game earlier in the year, so go check that out, but uh, she's absolutely lifted the floor and the ceiling of this team, I think. Um, going back to, you know, the upsets and DePaul losing to Butler, like you said, who had two wins all year, that was the biggest upset by uh, win probability in, you know, this entire season. I'm not sure Villanova being DePaul would necessarily be an upset. It depends on how much stock you put into the metrics. Uh, DePaul is 94th in her hoop stats rating, which doesn't, I mean, Coming into the season, that wouldn't have made any sense. And yet, they still might be in the tournament. Um, because, you know, they still have a resume that maybe could get them in. But Villanova's 85th. Uh, I think this is going to be one of the better games of the tournament. I'm not necessarily sure if I would call either one an upset. Uh, it feels like Villanova over DePaul is an upset because DePaul has spent several weeks in the rankings this year. And Villanova hasn't really gotten talked about too much. But uh, I think <laughs> I think DePaul's faltering down the stretch. Pretty big time, and they, they need this win. Yeah, and on the other hand, I think Nova needs that win, too. I think they're a team that's kind of probably on the bubble. I just don't know how many people have them right on the bubble right now, but they're probably in that conversation, at least, as a bubble team. Um, so a win over DePaul obviously would help them with that. I think they're a team that probably has a tougher time kind of fighting their way into the tournament, just the way the things fall in this bracket and that they face UConn in that second game. So they don't have a chance to pick up a second win before having to play UConn. Um, and of course, maybe they pull off a huge upset and upset UConn, which would probably get them some notice and get them into that bracket. But um, I think they're a team that at least is going to want to win that game to try to give themselves the best possible chance they can to, to make it into the, the marked bracket. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble right now, but uh, you know, anytime you get a, you know, if you're within any sort of striking distance, you know, if the selection show were tonight, they wouldn't get in. But if, if you're within shouting distance and you get to play a game against the number one team in the country, uh, that can easily jump you up six, seven, eight spots just by itself. So, and I think they know that. So they know that if they get their shot at UConn, that could be the thing that gets them in the tournament. But they got to beat DePaul to get their shot at UConn, which is why they're going to be a hundred team, like you said, playing DePaul. Because they, they probably aren't going to beat UConn, but they want their shot. They, they want to at least, you know, play it out on the court um, and, and give themselves a chance. So that's a, that's a big time game to watch it all. So that, that one, and then, you know, that's, that one is for sure happening uh, in the quarterfinals. And then in the semifinals, Marquette versus Seton Hall, if they both get there, uh, I think those would be the two big, big games to watch in this tournament. Yeah, I agree. I think those are the ones that I'm circling on my bracket too, because those two are going to be the fun ones to watch and definitely some some larger tournament implications there. So excited to see kind of how those go and where those fall. All right. So I think we've previewed all the conference tournaments that are this week. So Big Ten and Big 12 coming 
next week, but wanted to close it out with just kind of rapid fire picks of who's going to win each tournament. Um, so we'll start with the ones that are kind of tipped off already and then close out with Big Ten and Big 12. So for the SEC, who are you picking to win the SEC tournament? Um, yeah, I, I am still going to stick with South Carolina. Um, I, like I said, I would take the field over them, but I think, I think they are still the best team in an incredibly good league. Um, and so, so I'm going to go with them. Taking kind of a hot take here with Tennessee. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of upsets in this league. Tennessee has beat every team in the SEC other than A&M and Georgia and Georgia, they lost both games by a combined three points. So kind of right there with them. So I think they've looked good on the stretch. They picked up that big game over South Carolina two weekends ago. So I'm going with Tennessee for the SEC one. All right. Pac-12, who are you going with? I, I know I said I think Stanford is probably still the favorite, but uh, in the spirit of hot takes, I can't can't pick the favorite in, in every single league. So I'm going to – this is going to be my hot take league, and I'm going to pick Oregon State. I'm going to pick Oregon State to win four games in four days. They've already, uh, you know, won down, and, and I'm going to pick them to win the next three as well. No surprises here. Go UCLA. <laughs> um, I think anyway and Osborne have just been such a dynamic duo. I'm really excited to see what they do in this tournament. But I think it's going to be tough for them with the, the short bench to, to win three games in three days. But I'm, I'm still picking them. How about for the ACC? Um, yeah, that's a tough one since I don't, you know, I already mentioned, I don't think the one versus two are going to be both there. But I do think one of them is going to make it. I don't know which one. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick NC State because I think they uh, like we mentioned one of their losses this year was without Elisa Kunain, um, and and I think you know obviously they're a better team with her in the lineup, but um, I think they have slightly slightly easier path. You no one really has an easy path, but we already talked about Louisville maybe in their first round playing a team who took them to the brink for 39 minutes and 59 seconds and. Then in the next round, potentially playing a team that actually did beat them in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so, so if I had to pick one of these two teams to get picked off, I'd, I'd say Louisville, which means I'm going to go with NC State to, to win this one. Yeah, I'm going to be pretty boring here because I'm going with NC State as well. So nothing to argue about there. And then Big East, I'm going UConn. You picking any crazy upsets there? Or... <laughs> no, I can't. I can't get that hot of a take. That's. That's a bit too bold. UConn is UConn, this league was supposed to be a little bit tougher for UConn than the American was, but I'm not sure if it has been. It's they've been running over everyone. So I know Marquette only lost by ten last last uh, was it last week two weeks ago, but uh, I, this is UConn's league. Yeah, yeah. All right. What about the ones next week? Who are you going with for the Big Ten? Uh, the Big Ten. This is another wide open one, um, but I am going to be a little bit boring and still go with Maryland, especially, you know, I'm not sure if we know yet if Angel Reese is, well, she did already come back actually and played some limited minutes. So I guess, yeah, she will be back. Uh, I take that back. I, I didn't know that. I answered my own question. <laughs> and with Angel Reese on the floor, I think, I think this is, this is obviously a team that goes from the best team to an even better team. I think this is, uh, maybe one of the top five teams in the country. Um, I don't know if people are talking about them that way yet. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to be, be boring again, but uh, I'm going with Maryland in this one. I'm going with Indiana in this one. I think the one thing that the big 10 lacks is defense, but Indiana is actually a pretty solid defensive team and defense wins championships. So going with Indiana there. 
And then lastly, Big 12, who do you got? All right, it's my turn to, to flash the gear here. I gotta, <laughs> I'm not a Baylor fan, but I'm pulling my best Gabe Ibrahim and, and wearing, <laughs> wearing the shirt. So uh, I'm going to go with Baylor in this one. I think this is... This is another maybe one step below UConn in terms of how how much they own the league. Um, not not quite to the same extent, but still still enough that I don't really see anyone challenging them. Uh, and, and Melissa Smith is is a National Player of the Year candidate. Um, the way they just shut down Charlie Collier last week too is so so impressive. So I'm going with Baylor. Yeah, I'm going Baylor here as well. I think they're pretty much the clear favorite here. Honestly, a team I think is a little bit underrated kind of going into March overall, so going with the Bears. Great. Well, thanks for joining me, Calvin. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. Also, make sure to check out the site at herhoopstats.com. All of your great NCAA basketball stats that you need heading into March Madness. And of course, our WNBA free agency materials are all there as well. Also, make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter on Substack. Uh, It's free directly to your inbox every day almost with our best content. And make sure you're following us on social at herhoopstats. Thanks for listening.